A new release of Cluster Data on Tap is upon us, and this week we bring in Jay Goldfinch to talk about what's new in 8.3.2. Minor releases aren't supposed to be this good. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. I am Justin Parisi and sitting next to me is Glenn Sizemore. Say hello, Glenn. Hello, Justin. How are you? I said say hello, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Okay. That works. How's it going today? Uh, it's going really good, man. I've, uh, I, I've finally had a project where I got to do what, what, what I truly enjoy doing, uh, which is just losing myself in an automation task. Uh, I've, I've basically spent the past four days knee deep in a pretty gnarly PowerShell script that, that is really cool. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to figure out a way to release that and, and share it with the world because I think it's pretty neat. But uh, can you share anything about it, or is it is it super top secret? Uh, no, it's not super top secret. It's it's basically a, a configuration engine for Data on Tap. You pass a JSON file into a script, and the script will go through and take a look at a cluster. If the cluster's not there, it creates it. Uh, if if it finds anything that's out of compliance with the configuration, it puts it into compliance. You know, I've, I, I needed it because we've got a development uh, task where we've got multiple teams that are all, you know, working with ONTAP and, and, and building software that works with it. Uh, and I need to be able to ensure from, from a solution perspective, all of these environments are in sync. And, and the only way to do that is to have an authoritative configuration control system. So I just wrote one because I had time and I could. So basically, we're setting up a cluster and also applying best practices. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. All right, sitting next to Glenn, we have Andrew Sullivan. Hello, Andrew. Good morning. And and notice specifically I said morning because it's kind of early in the day for us here. Uh, I know you're looking awful bleary-eyed from uh, a, <laughs> yeah. a, a certain uh, event that happened in the last couple of days. Yeah, so uh, Fallout 4 came out, and that means <laughs> that I get... Much less sleep now. But I still make it in. I'm still on top of my game, except for the fact that sometimes I don't remember a press record. You know, <laughs> where, where was it? Was it Las Vegas where they had the IVs that you could get an IV with, like, energy? Yeah, you get that yeah. or you get oxygen at the oxygen bar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty much all of that stuff is, is just like, hey, you want to play a slot machine with your life? Go ahead. This might work out. <laughs> we need to keep you lo- alive long enough just to take your money. You could still give us money for the next 20 minutes before your heart explodes. Hey, either give it to the doctor who's not going to fix you or give it to us. <laughs> I drink like eight cups of coffee a day, so I can't say a whole lot. Yeah, that's yeah. caffeine, though. That's not like four billion milligrams of B12. Or, or as, as Glenn's pounding the monster energy drink. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I think if we, if I think if you took Glenn to the mall and did one of those character drawings, he would have a monster energy drink in a, in a character drawing. Uh, yeah. It's 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 guilt. okay. Guilty. No, no judgment. Judgment free zone in the Tech on Tap podcast booth. All right. Sitting next to Andrew, we have no stranger to the podcast, resident cluster data on tap expert, Jay Goldfinch. Hello, everybody. Hello, listeners. Looking great, gentlemen. I can say that because we're on the radio. <laughs> That's right. Faces for radio. Every <laughs> one of us. So Jay is here to talk about cluster data on tap. He's also going to talk a little bit about the new release that's coming out, 8.3.2. But before we go, go into that, we're going to go into the history of 8.3 and talk about some of the key features that came around with 8.3. So, Jay, if you could start us off with a little overview of what came out with 8.3, and we'll go from there. 
Sure. So um, in general, what you've seen in the 8.3 code line is additional support for a number of different uh, you know, flash configurations, um, support for a number of enhanced replication technologies. Those are two key areas where we've really been pushing, where NetApp has really been pushing, getting into and out of public clouds, you know, really having um, high-performance all-flash configurations and hybrid configurations that are feature-rich, which is a... Uh, a pretty big differentiator. So, you know, bigger flash pool caches, um, support for Metro Cluster, that synchronous mirroring between sites up to 200 kilometers apart, a number of enhancements around all flash, um, as we discussed. Uh, performance there in the 8.3 timeframe looks very, very good. Support for VVOLs, um, support for uh, moving LUNs around just non-disruptively, just like you used to move volumes around. Now you can move LUNs around. Instantaneous cutover, by the way. So, you know, you don't have to wait for that operation to complete. Version-independent SnapMirror can be combined with SnapVault uh, for a single destination copy to be both DR and a backup copy, you know, long-term snapshot, uh, snapshot archive. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's talk a little bit more about this version-independent SnapMirror. That sounds pretty cool. What is that about? Um, so, fundamentally, version-independent SnapMirror, like when, when we... You've probably at this point heard us talk about this notion that you should be able to replicate not just between public and private clouds, but also between NetApp products. This version-independent SnapMirror, the underlying engine that is that is used for that, is um, is the engine that will be used going forward to implement a lot of that technology. It is powerful. I don't know if if you know JP used to be in support, and you yes. know that. Um, for as long as we've been around, it's always been the case that you had to upgrade the destination of a SnapMirror relationship first. Oh, yeah. Um, because there had to be an understanding of the block layout on yep. the source, right? So, you know, there's some, this version independent SnapMirror puts in some, you know, some code that allows that not to be the case. That, you know, from 8.3 going forward, you can upgrade the destination first. Um, so it's a more agnostic layout. You know, it abstracts some of the, you know, some of that block, block level layout for you. And allows you to do some pretty interesting things. That is one of them, um, which helps with bi-directional relationships, circular relationships, that sort of thing. Um, another is that you can combine it with Snap um, Snap Vault. So if you ever hear the term Mirror Vault, that refers to a destination that is both a Snap Mirror destination and a Snap Vault destination. It's using version independent Snap Mirror to do that. And just to be clear, I mean, in previous versions, Snap Vault and Snap Mirror ran on completely different logical engines. I mean, yep. Snap Vault was more of a file based. SnapMirror was more of a block-based. So we're, we're actually merging those two and kind of making a Frankenstein SnapMirror technology. Well, and it's, it's, it's even more than that. Initially, with version-independent SnapMirror, you know, the, the big bang for the buck when that, when that shipped was, hey, customers, you don't ever have to think about this anymore, right? It's just going to work. You, you manage your data on tap versions based on what's best for your organization, and, the rep, and, and your SnapMirror replications are just going to continue to function uh, without you having to even think about that. But as I understand it, really under the covers, what we were doing was retooling SnapMirror so that it could run on anything that we we, we build, and and we've actually start started to go down that path. Can you touch a little bit on 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 how that how that works into it, Jay? Yes, I mean, I mean, you can see that now, right? With the just the fact that you can use a single destination copy for both use cases on this platform now is uh, oh, that's you a know, good point. Evidence yeah. of of the fact that that is the direction uh, that we have been going. Some of our executives uh, showed an example of, of this replication technology between some of our products um, at, uh, at Insight, right? So it's, um, 
you know, I suspect we'll see this for E-Series. You can do this to the cloud today, right? I mean, yep. uh, to a cloud ONTAP instance today. This is, a, is, is sort of a preview of the kinds of things that we're going to see going forward. So version-independent snap mirror, though it may look like a, you know, a feature in a long list of features in 8.3 that, you know, it's easy to kind of lose that in the, um, in the list. I think from, a, um, from the perspective of moving forward, that is a, a significant uh, feature. So oh, yes. One that should not be understated. You know, the new replication engine, I think it's a little bit unfair to call it a, a Frankenstein because it's not just a meshing of, you know, the file and the block-based replication engines, right? It's, it's really a whole new animal, if you will. And it was, it was literally displayed on the main stage at Insight, right? We can replicate between our platforms now, which really facilitates that whole concept of, well, the data fabric. Right. I'm no longer tied to a single hardware platform. If I want to back up and leverage AltaVault in order to push it into a cloud, but it's coming off of a FAS, great. You can absolutely take advantage of that. So it's really, really interesting to see what they're doing with this technology. And uh, as it progresses through the different on-tap releases and gets better and better and better, along with our other platforms, right? again, better and better and better, it's really exciting stuff. So less Frankenstein, more Voltron. I could go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah when I, I said Frankenstein, I was like, eh, I wanted to say Voltron. Frankenstein came out. Yeah, that was wrong. Voltron. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Yeah, yeah. We, so we can rock that. So moving forward to you know to eight three one, there were a number of, of uh, enhancements to all flash faz, the performance of all flash faz in eight dot three. Oh yeah. Yeah, we went into those those code paths and really optimized them. As as you all know, there are a lot of um, differences, although. Although SSDs and spinning media in a lot of ways are very similar, you know, the way that they interact with the operating system is, is similar. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, they're very different. You know, you, there are a large number of, of different um, failure modes that exist with spinning media that don't exist with, with SSDs, right? And so with 8.3, we were able to really streamline that process of getting I.O., from reads back out of the system really fast, you know, cut out six, seven, eight hundred microseconds doing that in 8.3. Uh, continued along in 8.3.1 and got probably another 150, you know, 200. So between 8.3 and 8.3.1 with all flash uh, configurations, we reduced the latency on these read operations by probably cumulatively, you know, and your mileage is always going to vary when you're talking performance, but by about a millisecond. So, you know, significant performance improvements. Yeah, that, those optimizations brought all flash faz into the sub-millisecond performance category. Prior to that, we were, we were right at a millisecond or just barely over it. But, but post-optimization, we nail that every time. And we can drive them really hard, too, right? Yep. You can reach hundreds of thousands of I.O. operations per second, maintaining that very low latency. So this, this is a specific configuration, right? A, a specific personality of the FAS, correct? Yep. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's a separate box, right? I mean it's it's AFF is AFF, it's not FAS, right? So, um, but it it is implemented in that way. It is it has this personality setting that assigns certain default behaviors. One of which in eight three one is inline compression. So that's that's another big one, and we also covered that one extensively in our eight three one. Uh, podcast. You know, that might be something uh, to take a look at if your listeners, if our listeners are not familiar with it. You guys it. remember what episode that was? Uh, I think it was the second or first. It was, it's, it was, it was at the very top of the It was feed. episode zero. Oh, that's right. It was the first. Yeah. yeah. Jay, Jay. The inaugural episode. 14 episodes ago, Jay, you came in here to talk about 831 
and now we're here talking about 832. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what this is what we were talking about in that last episode when we said buckle up because seven mode's gone and now we're getting ready to move real fast. Well, guess what? Here we are. <laughs> we yeah. we have more episodes than Star Wars. <laughs> As of today, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure what that metric is. That like, means we're better, right? That is a statistic, but what does that mean? <laughs> that means we're better. Okay. Something about causation Please, correlation. So if, if you don't agree with me, write into podcast at netup.com. So don't, don't do that. Don't so do is that. is Luke Skywalker going to be a, a Sith Lord? By the way, I I don't know. I don't think so. You, don't think uh, so? you know, they're setting it up to be that he might be evil. Yeah, um, he is the son of evil, right? I mean, so. I am on a complete blackout with that thing. Like, my son and I saw the very first preview. We both looked at each other and said, we're totally seeing that when the day it comes out, and we haven't looked at anything since. Just so you know, everyone dies at the end. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I, sure. I, so I'll I, just stay home and watch The Walking I, Dead. I, yes. I have, <laughs> I have tickets for 7 o'clock Thursday, so I, I will be there at the very first showing. Yeah, I think we've got an opening day, day tickets. Yeah. I think we're going um, for a lunchtime showing. Maybe take a day off. You know, all that good stuff. I think I yeah it's it's uh, I was not old enough for when the first Star Wars came out like that actually predates me um, by a little bit to to show my youth I guess but uh, uh, I'm super excited about the idea of of, of doing that I don't know how we ended up on Star Wars instead of on tap that's my fault you, you let's you, go back to on tap yeah let's okay. get out of the ditch <laughs> let's talk about SVMDR right Sounds so that's great. that's another you know when we're talk when we're talking replication relationships SVMDR was introduced in eight three one it's also called uh, Snapmare for storage virtual machines right this is this is the ability to set up a replication relationship between storage virtual machines. If you change volumes, if you change configuration settings at the source, it's replicated to the destination. It has two different flavors, identity preserve true and identity preserve false. Identity preserve true preserves the network identity, the LIF configuration, DNS configuration, all that stuff. Identity preserve um, um, false does not replicate uh, that information, so it replicates a subset, so QoS policy, stuff like that that's not, repl- that's not uh, representative of the network config. But anyway, that's, an, that's another area where we've been enhancing this, this notion of the data fabric and this notion that you can move data around. That was also an 8.3.1. Yeah, SVMDR, the thing that I personally love about that feature is it removes just all the complexity around data replication. You just create the peer relationship, the storage virtual machine, and say anything that lands in this SVM, I want a secondary copy of it in that SVM, and the cluster just handles that for you. Like, you don't have to think about it, and then in the event that something catastrophic does occur, you've got that single command to just move all the workload and get it up to the point where you can remount and and get back up and running. I think it's an awesome feature. Yeah, I mean, uh, change management in general is... Some people have jobs doing this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. It's complicated. Yep. Um, so anything that you can do to automate that is, you know, by its very nature, going to simplify your operational processes. I, I like the granularity of it, right? Being able to do it on an SVM level as opposed to bringing your entire cluster over. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, so, something that uh, Andrew touched on a little bit when we were talking about SnapMirror to anything, but but it's, I think it's worth calling out the fact that this is all baked into the base OS. It's part of the storage platform. We're not stacking boxes in front of boxes and, and routing uh, data paths through proxies so that we can you know, fork uh, at somewhere inside the fabric or network layer. Like This is native replication coming off the storage engine itself. Uh, and and you know, as we've almost beaten to death, but we're going to keep doing it because it's right. freaking cool. That's right. You know, the ability that horse to go is not dead yet. Native to native. 
with different OSs and different platforms, like that's huge, guys. And that extends to, to Metro Cluster too. You know, if you want an all oh, flash yeah. array that can do synchronous mirroring without piling on, you know, half a dozen different products on top of it and winding up with a configuration that nobody can understand, you set up a, a Metro Cluster configuration and with all flash and there you go. You have you have an all flash array that can do synchronous mirroring, which is um, natively. Yeah, and and you know it's we we get asked sometimes like why would you do that? Uh, we've said it before, but we'll say it again just so people know you do it for read performance because even though yes you have to wait for that that the right to replicate across that inner cluster uh, uh, link to to the to yeah that ISL yeah the ISL um, the reads are local so you know you get you get pure flash performance on reads uh, you do incur a little bit of additional latency on writes but there's a ton of workloads where you know that that's the sweet spot massive massive read performance with synchronous you know replication on all writes it's 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 again an incredibly powerful feature andrew's over Managers there stroking too. his beard i think that means he has something to say no okay i misread you <laughs> jay where's your beard Ooh, yeah i'm the only person here without that's one that's right we're gonna have to get a guest beard you know, just, just, a just, yeah, beard you can wear. <laughs> Maybe on a pair of glasses. That's actually a fantastic idea. I guess. I'm on that. Yeah. Okay. Action item. Yeah, we'll make that happen. Guest beard. Any? So uh, let's see. What, what haven't we touched on? Uh, inline zero to elimination. There's, and yeah. Like, there's so much. There's a it's, lot of stuff we yeah. can't. I mean, we want to cover eight three two today. So there, there are a lot of things that that we can't cover in eight three and eight three one right now. Um, but you know, I'm sure we'll discuss those. Uh, going forward but i think we've set kind of set the stage to talk about what we have in 832 which is a a, a huge release for a dot two release a, a tremendous amount of new functionality in 832 you know it's um this this notion that we've discussed in the past that you know we were accelerating our, our development cycle to really get good cadence and get new features you know available to our customers more rapidly Again, with this early testing, test early, test often, yep. really push forward the development of the product. You know, you'll hear it sometimes called shift left around here. Um, this notion that you know, early the earlier you can get that validation done in the testing process, the better, the quicker, the more high quality product you're going to get out the door um, later on. And in eight three, you know, the fact that we're delivering this much functionality that we'll talk about, you know, in a little bit in eight three two. Um, I think is really evidence of the um, power of that paradigm. Before we pivot into A32, uh, and listeners, we are almost there. Uh, how's our health report looking on A3 and A31? You know, they've been out, A3 has been out for a year now, A31's been out for about uh, five, six months. Uh, how are we looking from a quality perspective? Is that still holding up? Both are very high quality releases due to that, you know, testing paradigm that I was, that I was talking about. Of course, you know, with any. Um, with any ONTAP release, you're always going to want to look at the P releases first to make sure that anything you have in your environment, if there, you know, if there are any bugs that we found or um, you know that we fixed, to make sure that you have a, 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 a P release that addresses that. You know, I would say that 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 advice that's something that Justin is an expert in. You know, making sure that um, that folks are on the right release, and um, that's you know that's something that. Uh, you know that it, you should consider, but I would say that that in general, eight three and eight three one are you know exceptionally high quality releases. Again, due to this uh, methodology, this testing methodology that we adopted. Speaking of which, has anybody else noticed that uh, when when you go to uh, support.netup.com and you go to downloads and, and you go to grab your software now, uh, it will actually prompt you if there's a P release that you need. Like you, you go in there and you say, "I want the SMIS agent." 
uh, download for Windows, and it you know stops and goes, by the way, here's this problem. You need a P release, so we're going to redirect you to the release that you need. I did not um, notice that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so so we're actually, you know, str- again, more optimization and simplification, removing the need to, to, to manually have to, to go and do that correlation on the back end since, you know, for the most part, we know. You know, especially if the system's calling home through auto support. If we can intelligently help you make a choice, that's better than, you know, allowing you to make a choice and having to dig through a bunch of information to figure out what the appropriate choice is. And I think that that is a, yeah. that that's, would be an example of that kind of thinking, yeah. All right. I'm done. I'm done delaying us. I think that everyone's waited long enough unless we want to go off on another. You, want, you just want to talk about Fallout for like another 20 minutes? We can talk about can Fallout. Get... I'm, I will say that I just ordered the beard, so... <laughs> So we will have a guest beard on the next show. Okay. We'll have pictures. Um, they'll go up. Very important to do. Make sure I took care of it. Action item completed. I, I, I like the fervor in which you, you tackled that AI. Achievement unlocked. Okay. <laughs> you need to put that in your weekly. By the I, way. I will. Yeah. It's actually going to go on my review. I expect to be fired for it, <laughs> but that's okay. Successfully implemented guest beard on the Tech on Tap podcast. <laughs> Version specific, I think. Version specific guest beard. All right, all right, Jay. I think we've we've messed with you long enough, man. You've been over there uh, being a consummate professional as always. Let's talk about a three two. We got a new version of Data on Tap rolling out. What what? Uh, where do you want to? How, how do you want to tackle this? Let's let's start out with a big thing. Okay. And, um, this is something that uh, Justin has worked on as well. Copy free transition. What? Hear, we can actually say I that. Can out say loud. it now. Yeah, no more um, uh, sort of obfuscated Twitter yeah. posts from you. Yeah, beating around the proverbial bush. No more YouTube videos dragging empty racks around. Yeah, or <laughs> no, there'll still be more of those. Okay, maybe with the beard. So, copy-free transition, aka CFT, if you ever hear that acronym. Um, this is the ability to. Um, it's sort of like uh, doing an upgrade to clustered on tap via head swap procedure. It's kind of what it's analogous to. Yeah. It uses the seven mode transition to clear. It, um, it allows your data to remain on the drive, so you don't have to set up like a, uh, a replication relationship between seven mode and clustered on tap to get that data over. Um, instead, that data can remain on the drives, and you swap out the heads for clustered on tap heads. Right. So it's um, obviously you need to upgrade things like. Um, the notion of export policies, for example, doesn't exist in 7-Mode. You have an Etsy yeah. exports file. So you still need, we still need a, a mechanism to translate some of these configuration details between 7-Mode and clustered on tab. That's still done via the 7-Mode transition tool. But the difference here is that you are, you know, you're, you're running it and then you're switching over to um, a clustered on tap system, and you're verifying that that everything is up and running, works okay. And at that point, you went from seven seven mode to clustered on tap um, in a sh- much shorter time frame, without having to worry about having a replication relationship established and baselined and updated until you're ready for the cutover. So with a with a CFT transition, um, I still need to have you know enough spares for a root aggregate, right? Because I'm just I'm just trying to imagine like how this would work. I I actually have never seen it. Right, right. Even though you so, demoed it, like yeah, we 3, demoed it. Times. Yeah, we demoed it in insight. So essentially, what we had to do was we had to stand up a cluster data on tap cluster with okay. some placeholder SVMs. So what you would do is you'd create your SVMs. You'd have your root aggregates on these nodes because you have to build the cluster. Yeah. Right. Um, when you do the transition, you just basically 
run through the tool. It tells you when to stop and halt and move the cables. You move the cables over, and then you allow the transition to take place with the transition tool. Oh, so it literally does, you know, it's just 7MTT, only instead of the part where it normally orchestrates snap mirror, it says, right. go move a SAS cable. Right. It just says, all right, time to move the SAS cable. Now, they've they've told us, you know, there's a time range of how long this takes, and the range they give you is three to eight hours. That range is heavily dependent on how big your 7-mode system is, how many exports you have, how many Q-trees you have, all the objects, right? Because we have to move those over with the Zappy. Yeah. The other thing that's really dependent on this is how long it takes you to cable. So if you have a really easy setup and you can move a few cables, you're looking at a few minutes of cabling. They built in, like, hours for cabling. So that means if you have to move it across the data center or you need to move it from one building to another building... They're taking that into account. So your transition essentially could be as fast, potentially, as what our demo was. And our demo was done in less than 30 minutes. Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I'm a little... Uh, I'm over here just kind of taking a step back going, okay, so, you know, the, 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 there's nothing negative you can say other than why did this take so long. But, but the answer to that is it was a really hard problem. And, right, and right. And you're, you're, you're changing data formats in place, you know, for... Just look around the industry. This isn't something that is done. No, I mean, the, there, there was the FUD that was floating around, the forklift upgrade, all yeah. that good stuff, right? That's gone now. Yep. You know, see ya, right? I mean, we have, we have a, a solution to that. Now, is that solution ideal for everyone? Probably not. I mean, there's limitations in a version one. So yeah. you got you to uh, you know, achieve what you can do with the version. As it progresses, you're going to see those, those limitations go away. But another thing that people may be concerned about is, okay, I'm doing this kind of in place. You know, I don't have anywhere to put my data to kind of have it in case something goes wrong or I want to roll back. You can roll back once you get to a certain point in the transition. After you get to a certain point, you have to actually cut over, and that'll actually delete the aggregate snapshot. So that at that point, you're doing you're looking at a more manual rollback to the to the seven mode system. Oh, okay, yeah. And you know, just to to speak to the point of the cables, right? That means that you're also reducing the amount of swing space that's required, of course. So you're, yeah. um, you know, it's you don't have to have twice the rack space to do it. Well, or, it's, it's not just the rack space; know. it's the swing gear as well, because that was a limiting factor for a lot of our partners and customers. I can't afford swing gear. I can't. I don't even yeah. want to rent it. Why do I have to rent this swing gear? Why can't I just do it with my drives I bought last year, which are still under contract? I want to use those drives. Now you can. Yeah, and, 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 you know, there's one thing I'd like to add here, and that is um, that one of the things this process has to do is take these volumes and um, essentially uh, re-host them from a place uh, in yeah. 7 mode to place it in an SVM. I think I see where you're going with this, Clustered on tap. I see where you're going with this. So, um, you know, I can't talk about the future, but what I can do is fuel speculation. <laughs> okay. So, uh, if I need to use this cl- CFT and I, how do I get my volumes over? I have to rehost them, right? From one entity that hosts my storage to another that hosts my storage, right? Interesting. Can I do other stuff with that? Well, I, you know, today that that would be the use case for something like that. Is would be um, CFT. Let me let me let me restate the question. Would it be supported for me to use that 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 functionality? Uh, in a workflow outside of a CFT workflow. Not today. Okay. I know what my next PowerShell script's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so so we actually have a uh, a clip for the copy-free transition that we recorded for the Insight 
uh, for the demos that we couldn't play. So we'll probably tack that on to this show as well. We'll probably put it on right after this. Transitioning from 7 mode to cluster data on tap just got a whole lot simpler. And joining us today to tell us how is the core on tap team, Justin Parisi, Mark Waldrop, and Mike Worthen. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. How you doing? Thank you. What is copy free transition? Copy free transition for most folks is you know not having to do what most people kind of are used to is with forklift upgrade. They think of a, a very you know long and process that takes a considerable amount of time. And here, using the same seven MTT tool that everybody's used to today, and uh, getting to a similar a certain point in the process where we're just actually moving cables and then click, clicking a couple more buttons and then you know checking out your data and away you go. That's right. We can we can transition anything that your seven mode system is doing. It's going to be not just the LUNs, not just the SIF shares and NFS exports. It's going to be the IP addresses. It's going to be the iSCSI interfaces, the iGroups. Everything that you need to get up and running is going to be done through the automated seven mode transition tool. So if I'm a seven mode customer and I'm here at Insight, why would I actually care about this tool? A lot of our customers have been asking for this ability to just plug in shelves. And prior to this, you had to do a physical copy of all that data, whether it was going to be doing Snap Mirror from 7 mode to, to CDOT, or if you had a non-NetApp system, it was going to be file-based. So RSync, RoboCopy, you know, foreign loan import. What this does, is it eliminates the need to do that physical copy, which can take a long time when you have a lot of data, right? The other issue is physical footprint. People didn't have the swing gear needed in some cases to get that data over. They were having problems figuring out the logistics of how to get this giant transition going for them. What we've done is eliminated that, that bottleneck and allowed you to just physically move cables from your old shelves that you had plugged into the seven mode systems and repurpose them on the CDOT systems. You guys are doing a demo of this, a live demo I heard at Insight. Yep. And this is demo, not demolition. So this is, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not blowing anything up. No um, forklifts. No forklifts. Yeah, so we, uh, we have a, a two node uh, seven mode cluster that we're gonna work with in transition. Um, we have a seven MTT tool and we'll actually be generating some data on the fly. We're gonna go ahead and uh, run through the process here, move over a couple of cables onto an 8040 cluster that we have and then bring it up uh, on a, a pre-production Release cluster day on top. We're going to run it uh, a few times throughout the week. Uh, Monday, I think we're running, uh, I believe, six o'clock uh, Monday evening in the uh, pavilion, and then uh, the rest of the week, uh, twelve fifteen and two fifteen. So we're in the exhibit hall. You guys have your own booth, right? Yes, we, we do have our. Own we booth. have our very own booth. I'm pretty sure if they just ask for where's the really cool, awesome demo at Insight, they'll, they'll find us. Right. right. <laughs> I like that. I like well, that. Well, I kind of, I have a tendency to agree. I think that there's going to be a lot of conversation about it. All right. Well, you heard it here. Transitioning from seven mode to cluster data on tap just got a whole lot simpler with copy free transition. Be sure to check out their demo in the expo and also check out the various sessions regarding transitioning from 7 mode to cluster data on tap. Thanks guys. Let's go ahead and move on. So Jay, what else do we have in 8.3.2 payload here? Inline deduplication. Oh. Say what? Where, oh, where is Dr. Desktop? Is that something else that we didn't have? That is and it's um it's something that I'm glad to be talking about in 8.3.2. Uh, today. So this dedupe, uh, dedupes the data prior to committing it to the uh, storage media, as you would expect. Um, it you know still works in conjunction with post-process dedupe as well for some of the data set. Um, but it's very handy um, for a number of use cases around uh, patching VMs, uh, performing storage fee motion operations, that sort of thing. Very nice piece of functionality that reduces the amount of data that's required when you're when you're doing this the amount of raw storage capacity that that is required when you're doing these these operations so um you know speaking of fud that can get thrown out the window let's let's go on ahead and throw this one out the window too so inline deduplication in 832 we're, we're going to punch that one out 
<laughs> Sound effects for the win. So I suspect that you know this um, this room being full of, of virtualization guys. You know, I think the implications for you guys are is going to be pretty pretty big. Well, it's interesting, right? Because like so in in the ecosystem that I spend the most amount of time in in, in a hyper V space, you know, we've kind of architected that solution and and helped steer Microsoft's roadmap a little bit um, to the point where we're effectively getting all of those benefits today with with the ODX and and uh, the the way that that's implemented inside Data on Tap, you know, all of those operations get translated into Flex Clone ops, not actual copy ops. So you know, Flex Clone is essentially pretty duplicated. It'll be interesting. What what it does provide though uh, is for those edge cases where traditionally, like we'd have customers that would fall outside of our architecture or outside of our deployment best practices that would allow them to leverage that Flex Clone use case. You know, we'd have a conversation about well, what does this mean? Well. You know, we've got a data copy, so we, we physically have to move blocks. That takes a little bit longer. There's nothing we can do. This is physics, right? Um, and then the second part of that is, well, you'll have to, to rehydrate and then run through and post-process, compress back down and dedupe back down uh, the data set. Now with data on top, this is a conversation about a deployment scenario. How do you want to operate? What's your, your operational mechanism? You know, what's the data set look like? You know, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll slap it on there. Oh, it's all ODX. You're good. You don't need to do anything. Oh, actually, ODX uh, is, is having to copy the data. So let's uh, turn on inline deduplication. Nope, still not enough. Let's turn on inline compression. Nope, still not enough. Let's turn back on post-process compression and post-process uh, deduplication. Like These are all options that are inside the tool bag now. When it, and once again, we're back where, where we kind of started. What kind of efficiency do you need and how do you want to get there? We've got nothing but options. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, right, in that you can tailor the storage efficiency to the application. So, for example, databases, right, database data files typically don't deduplicate very well. So it's sort of a, a waste of effort in order to do that, right? But they compress like a bat. They compress really, really well. Yep. So great, turn on inline compression, and then if you think it's going to be beneficial, turn on post-process deduplication. Save yourself those couple of microseconds of, of additional latency and those couple of percentage points of CPU and apply them where they really make sense. Or, going back to our earlier snap mirror conversation, right, if you're snap mirroring from an all-flash fast to maybe something that's running all SATA drives, do you need inline compression or inline deduplication as it's being streamed to those SATA drives? Probably not, right? Yeah. But you want to write it to disk as fast as you can, so great, let it stream to disk and let post-process take care of it afterwards. Right? Yeah, this save, save on CPU. This really helps with those, with those use cases where... Um, you may be capacity constrained on the destination. Yeah, particularly the all flash files workflows where, you know, like Patch Tuesdays for a VDI environment, you know, that, that, that this just made the, do the good doctor's life a heck of a lot easier. You know, we, we, had, we had worked around it and gotten really close to this capability for a little while. We just called always on uh, deduplication. Uh, I don't remember what the actual term ended up being, but essentially just the ability to uh, schedule multiple deduplication threads and to have them running near continuously so that the post-process engine was constantly going, uh, thereby effectively getting that storage efficiency. But with it fully in line, you know, we just don't have to worry about that anymore. It, it, when it's on, it's, it's always on, always guaranteed, right? Well, some of the dedupe will be done post-process, depending upon... Um, the data set, and depending upon the right operations to the storage. Um, so, y yes, you will always achieve deduplication 
and yes, um, a lot of that will be done in line, uh, but it does depend upon the uh, work workload that's being applied to the system. So yeah, well that that's pretty standard. Like I I I know we have to actually be careful about how we say this because this industry, good grief, sometimes. Um, but the the reality is like if if you want to do this in line, it you have to be in memory. You can't have to go look up something. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to have way too much latency, and and all of these architectures have uh, that 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 limitation about, especially with like a massive data set, right? If you've got an all flash FAS with a petabyte of storage, well, we're not going to be able to inline a petabyte. There's just too many blocks, and there's not enough memory. Um, but but we absolutely can handle the data that's flowing through the system, the active working set of what the actual data set is. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't trying to split hairs, but you you rightfully kept me safe. <laughs> We also have um, some improved off-flash uh, performance with um, SAN configurations. So further? some latency reductions there, even either even further performance improvements. I didn't know that we, we, we had further optimized the, uh, the, the SAN use cases inside uh, all-flash VAS. Yeah, we went into those, um, those code paths, and performance, again, is a hard thing to, to say, you know, uh, absolutely, but you know, I think that for a lot of these operations, you'll probably see about a hundred mics, uh, maybe 150 mic um, latency reduction for some of these sand. I, th- I think the best way to look at it is, you know, in performance, everything has a cost, so every little bit helps. So they're just adding on more and more to the performance story to allow performance to be as good as it can be for specific workloads. Yeah, I think uh, for for me personally, I I like the way that Mitch uh, from the E Series team. Uh, put it when we had him on the show like a year ago uh and that is to say the race to zero has begun you know we we are racing to zero latency we're never going to get there but we'll get real close right we're going to keep making these numbers smaller and smaller and smaller and at a certain point it's just not going to matter well you know i mean why do people use computers right It, it it depends on the use case that's why it's so important to have all flash with vdi if you're paying somebody $50,000 to sit in front of a computer screen all day, it doesn't make sense to bottleneck them by putting, you know, um, spinning media behind it. You want that that virtual desktop to be as responsive as you can make it. You know, uh, the same sort of thing would apply um, to online transaction processing, right? So um, it's really about not just speed, but also things like cloning, right? If, If you have a test dev team, do you really want those folks who are you're paying, you know, one hundred and twenty, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, sitting around waiting for a copy operation to complete, of course you don't, right? So, so speed, I think um, there is a gray area between performance and functionality, where you really have to think not just about, um, you know, at some point the performance gets commoditized. If you're sitting in a VDI environment, you're gonna you may notice a millisecond of latency difference. You're not gonna notice fifty mics. Yeah. You know, um it 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 really is not just about racing to zero in terms of performance, but making sure that there is appropriate functionality in the product to where your organization and the people who use the product are not bottlenecked by the fact that we are dealing with, you know, a, a storage system. Right? Yeah, people think, don't want to worry about this stuff. I think it was Dan Isaacs uh, who who originally uh, shared this with us, but uh, there's there's some alarming amount of of all flash storage that's being deployed uh, in customer environments today 
that could actually be alleviated just by increasing the amount of memory that the, the database virtual machine had. You know, we're, that we're artificially restricting uh, the amount of, of, of virtual memory that these things can, can utilize and thereby increasing the amount of storage I.O. that they need. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those use cases where, you know, full stack awareness, tools like on-command insight to, to show you where those bottlenecks actually reside uh, and to optimize where they truly are, not where you think they are, not where you feel they are, but where you can empirically prove through data that they are, uh, that 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 is where, where we need to keep chewing to, 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 again, race to zero, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point that I'm making is that the race to zero is absolutely something that, you know, that we need to continue as an industry to push towards. Yep. Um, because latency at the end of the day doesn't help anybody. Well, Lower is always better. But you also have to remember that, you know, functionality can make a huge difference in terms of workflows and in terms of organizational efficiency, um, which is a point that, you know, I, I, I think it's important for people not to miss that. Faster is only better if you need faster. If you need functionality, you know, you want something that's fast and has that functionality, which is where clustered ONTAP differentiates itself. You know, uh, I'll, I'll pile on to, to both of, or what both of you are saying, in that, you know, I was a DBA for a long time, and there is a lot of terrible SQL code that's written, right? Yeah. If you don't know what a Cartesian join is, it's the bane of every DBA's existence. And, you know, the, the problem is it creates an I.O. bottleneck because you're having to scan the table multiple times. You're having to do that join back and forth. And a lot of organizations, right, it's cheaper to just throw hardware at the problem until it goes away than it is to, you know, find and retain talent that really understands these types of things. Well, so within reason, right, again, there there are limits to these types of things, but within reason, a lot of organizations that I've talked to, it's just just throw hardware at it. Right. Yeah. It's it's cheaper to spend an extra couple of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars once versus tens of thousands of dollars every year to to go, you know, bump my talent level up a level or two. Kicking the can down the road. Well, it's 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 also just guaranteed results, right? You you know you can throw hardware at a problem and make it better. You don't know it's possible to go in and refactor. You know, you may it may turn out that that Cartesian join you're just screwed. Like you need it. There's no way around it, and you need to do it a bunch of times because the way that your workflow is working, and it is what it is. Well, I so. mean, some of the time they don't even know that that's the problem, right? They assume <laughs> it's not the problem. It can't be my code. It can't be our code. We're 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 the best at that. In reality, it's just forest for the trees, right? So they they solve the problem the best way they can. Yep. In the way that they know works. All right, so we talked about copy-free transition, removing barriers to getting to data on tap, uh, cluster data on tap, uh, they're, or potentially the last final barrier for customers actually you know, doing that lift and shift and, and removing the requirement for swing gear. Well, I'll say that th that's, not, that's not the end of the road. I mean, there's, there's better stuff coming. There's more stuff coming, so just stay tuned for that. Okay. Man, I like having an on-tap guy in here who actually knows what the heck's going on over there. Because I only get I get this stuff when Jay comes in to talk to me. What, what kills me about my job is I get to hear about cool stuff and I can't tell anybody, right? So it's like, oh yeah, this cool thing's coming. I have to be very vague and it just well yeah. now, now you're telling all seven of our listeners. So I'm saying cool stuff is coming. I didn't say what it was. I'm still being vague. You know, okay. Hi, hi mom. Thanks for listening. Hi mom. You know? <laughs> mom. And here's I'll some see really you at dinner. Cool on tap stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the cranberry sauce. Oh, Go I check out the uh, the eighty sixty of the basement, mom. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show you something. It's cool. Yeah, turn that filer back on. It's winter time. <laughs> mom, heat I'll the house fix up. your computer when I get home. <laughs> I promise. Um, 
we touched on CFT. Uh, we talked about it. We, we talked about the uh, improvements in uh, storage efficiency, uh, inline deduplication, and some of the optimizations there. And then we touched on the SAN optimizations, uh, further removing some more latency out of that protocol stack. What else you want to touch on, Jay? Uh, In-place adaptive compression. So Ooh, I've seen this come... What is that? I, compression in clustered ONTAP comes in, in, in two flavors, right? Um, the post-process compression that we've supported prior to 8.3.1 was um, on a 32 KB group size, mm-hmm. and it was you know done, obviously, post-process. Um, inline compression with 8.3.1 is done with an 8 KB group size, which is, you know, again, optimal for databases, optimal for, you know, most virtualization environments. Um, it is the appropriate group size uh, for, most, for most workloads. But the catch was in 8.3.1, if you had a volume, for example, that resided in a cluster... And half of that cluster was all flash. The other half of the cluster was hybrid or was, you know, just spinning media. And you move that volume or you move that LUN to, um, you know, the all flash FAS system. Um, that inline compression would not have been applied, right? Um. Because that's done in the I.O. path from the client or from the host, right? So it's not, you know, this is more of a block-level operation when you're moving stuff natively inside of, of the system with clustered on tap. So I've seen this question pop up in a lot, a lot of distribution lists inside of NetApp. I wouldn't be surprised if it also shows up in the communities. But the general question is, if I have a, uh, you know, an uncompressed data set and I move it to all flash FAS non-disruptively inside of the same cluster, um, you know, how do I achieve those storage efficiencies? And prior to 8.3.2, the answer was effectively you don't with 832 now you can do adaptive post process compression which will you know again using this 8kb group size compress it at the destination so that you uh, don't have to worry about that anymore does that mean that the post process compression engine now is using that 8kb group size that the the inline engine uses or do we still have the 32k fix for the post process oh we still have two different um, engines the the post the existing post process that uses 32k um, group sizes still exists right but this is support for um, ingesting in you know uncompressed uh, data with the 8kb group Good. size in line I'm actually happy we did that I, I would I would have been a little sad if we had gotten rid of the existing fixed uh, fixed compression set because guess what that works fantastic for a lot of workloads there's a lot of customers that love that feature it's working great for them so you know let's not there's no need to fix what's what's already working, right? You you don't. There's no such thing as a, a single solution or a golden gun, if you will, to 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 solve the problem. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. How many how many more metaphors can we come up with um, to say this? I don't know. I, I'm out. I've used yeah. every one I know of. I only had that one. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jay. So let's talk a little bit more about what's in 8.3.2 before we leave. What about System Manager? How's that gotten better? There are some cluster performance charts that show IOPS and latency. Uh, on the system in System Manager, um, so that you don't have to, you know, go to a, another tool to figure that out. Um, if it's you're just looking for basic data, it's like System Manager 1.1 all over again. There is um, manual IP address assignment. Now, this has been a this has been something that has bothered me for a while that you could, that you had to create a subnet object yeah. in System Manager. I like GUIs. 
I love GUIs. I use GUIs whenever I can, but I never, never really much cared for that. So that is that is that is gone now. Um, yeah, the, now you can do a manual IP address. There's that. Them. There's that old joke. It's uh, GUIs are like jokes. If you have to explain them, they're no good. Yes. Yes. Actually, <laughs> no. No. hundred percent. Can you explain yeah. that to me? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sync Mirror support. So Sync Mirror support was introduced with Metro Cluster support. Um, Sync Mirror is just um, mirroring data to two different Plexes on the same system. You know, for those of you who are not familiar with a Plex, a Plex is is um, is just a group of drives, kind of like an aggregate. Well, it's a group is, of RAID groups, right? It is a group of yeah, a group of RAID groups, like an like an aggregate. Yeah. But the difference is that. You know, if you have two identical plexes, when you do a write operation, you're going to write both of the, that write operation to both plexes. So it's an additional level of redundancy. It's not frequently deployed because this is the kind of thing that um, that you can achieve. You know, this what people use RAID for, right? Is is component level redundancy, but you could use a, a plex, a sync mirror plex, to get additional redundancy out of that. Do we is that supported on local sync mirror now outside of the metro cluster context when you say we support sync mirror yes. or really that's been true since 8.3 I didn't know that yeah. I thought it was only supported inside of metro so cluster So the thing context. that we don't support right now is a synchronous snap mirror Well I knew that yeah. I didn't know that we supported local sync mirror though that's awesome like for my shorthand the way that I explain this to customers is okay raid dp is essentially raid 6 without the write penalty local sync mirror is the equivalent of a raid 61 right it's RAID 6 over 1 because we're doing RAID DP and then we're doing a data set mirroring at the, at the Plex level. So you can, if, you, if, if you're familiar with traditional SAN terms, it sort of equates to a 61 um, with, with the performance characteristics of a 51. Um, so it gets a little complicated, but it's a super neat technology. I didn't know that was back in cluster data on tap. Yep. That's so awesome. now, we, now it's supported in the GUI. Cool. Uh, inline dedupe support uh, in 8.3.2 system manager. We already covered that for all flash FAS and for flash pool. Um, there's a new volume details tab, a volume move uh, details tab that'll tell you what a volume move uh, is, is doing, the estimated time to complete. Um, uh, it gives you more control over what happens at cutover. So, um, you know, um, triggering manual cutovers, you can do that sort of thing. Um, now natively inside of uh, System Manager in 8.3.2. You can create and manage mirror vault relationships, and we talked a little bit about that, you know, this combination, snap mirror, snap vault, um, you know, that uses a single destination copy. You can manage those now with 8.3.2. Um, you can configure the cluster from the default factory settings to production. So... Yeah, what does that mean? It means that you can do things like um, assign the DNS configuration, assign uh, the... Um, the password for the cluster administrator, you know, these, these base-level operations that you're going to have to do when you bring a system up initially that's factory, you know, that came out of the factory. So does this mean that I no longer have to touch the console or use system setup to do a cluster setup? I can just connect to the, I can give a node an IP or let it pull one through DHCP, log in through the system manager GUI, and then complete the rest of it right there? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I don't know if you're still going to need a console connection, um, but I know that a lot of that is now available natively in System Manager. So one thing I do know is that we're starting a simplicity initiative with System Manager. So what we can do is have one of those guys come on and start talking a little bit more about what simplicity and System Manager means to cluster data on top. Yeah, we should do that. That sounds like a great idea. I like that idea. We, we also have a listener who's requested a show where we explain Waffle. Um, 
Listener, we are working on it. The the problem is finding the right guy who can describe that incredibly complex 20-year-old amazing piece of technology in in like 15 minutes because you think dave hits is busy uh, yeah like he could do it but uh yeah i'm not asking him you think he could <laughs> I, I bet he could i bet you he could i bet he could i bet you he could something about you know coming up with it in the first place dave but. hits if you're listening come on come on <laughs> hey jay so what else is going on with system manager um well, System Manager, uh, the, the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was the Storage Virtual Machine dashboard, right? So one of the, um, one of the things that people frequently, frequently say about System Manager is they want better you know, SVM-level controls. So we have got a, an SVM dashboard now that will show you some uh, performance information uh, there. But there, there are some other things that um, it will also show you things like volume, nearing capacity, that, that kind of thing. Name service switch configuration, a lot of stuff involved with the SVM. But, you know, there are also a couple of other features not around System Manager uh, that are exciting. Wait, there's there's more? Isn't this just a minor <laughs> but, release? But but wait, but there's wait. more. <laughs> it slices. It dices. But this is just a minor release. I mean, we don't, you know, that's crazy how much stuff we're squeezing yeah, so into There's this. a lot of stuff in 8.3.2. What else is there? Fiber channel over IP for Metro Cluster. Ooh. So the ISL have we ever supported that before? We have not supported this, to my so. knowledge. Reason yeah. number eighty-six why cluster data on tap is better than seven mode. <laughs> this is um, you can have an IP connection between two fiber channel switches at remote sites up to um, two hundred kilometers away that uh, that allow the fiber channel to basically tunnel. Over IP, so that that ISL is running IP instead of of over dark fiber. Um, it is supported with uh, with the Cisco ninety two fifty I switches. Um, so it um, it gives you additional options if you have an IP network. You know that is within those those distance limitations and those um, you know those uh, latency constraints to allow you to make use of that as the ISL between your sites rather than using fiber. Yeah, I do, I, I do want to just call out um, for the listeners who, who may get confused. Uh, the 200-kilometer the thing, that's not like a hard, fast rule. Don't get out a, a map and start measuring like the distance between two sites um, because the real determination there is the amount of latency incurred on the ISL link. Maybe you can get PVRs. Maybe you can't. It's all. It all depends upon the the wire length. Yep. You know between the two between the two sites. This is the reason for the distance limitation is because of the speed of light, which regrettably we cannot do a whole lot about. You know there is some there is some amount of latency that is acceptable to people with respect to write operations, and that is why those distance limitations exist for synchronous mirroring, and that would be synchronous mirroring in general. In general, yep. right? I mean, this is a. Um, uh, this would not be unique to Metro Cluster. Yeah, every, everybody says that they want everything synchronously replicated until they realize that, well, okay, we can do that, but but you do realize in order for us to do that, we have to wait until it's actually written to the destination before we can act back. And once they see the reality of what that means, then you start to have a more intelligent conversation around this data has to be synchronous because it's transactional. This is, you know, this is the payment system. This other data, eh, it can be on a five-minute delay. It's no big deal. Yeah, we can also log um, forward um, authentication failures. 
So, um, you know, we supported audit logging uh, to syslog servers starting it with 831. Mm-hmm. Now we can log authentication failures as well. So that's handy, obviously, for security purposes, for, you know, log mining, Splunk sort of purposes. Yeah. Authentication failures as in trying to log into yeah. ONTAP itself, not necessarily, you know, trying to access NFS or SIFs or something like that. Right. But, yeah. Cool. QoS up to 24 nodes is in 8. Three, what two, were we at before? Um, eight. Eight. Okay. QoS is pretty commonly deployed in these environments that um, that are cloud sort of environments or that are multi-tenant environments. Oh, yeah. Um, I speak with a lot of customers who are doing this, who are building out larger systems for shared storage, right? And, the you know, all of these people want to use QoS, Storage, managing storage isn't just about defining capacity. It's also about defining the amount of I.O. that you're going to be able to get out of the system because you don't want one tenant to monopolize the system, right? So um, we bump that up to 24 nodes in 8.3.2. So um, you can also get now up to uh, 12,000 QoS policy groups by PVR in 8.3.2. So if you need more policy groups for QoS... That gets bumped up too again, though by PVR. So you would need a PVR for that. That's a lot of policy groups, man. Yeah, you'd have to be doing file level policies in order yeah. to, to get that high. But Which with VMs, I mean. Yeah, yeah, you could totally do it. You know, per VM uh, QoS policy. You know, that. I I wonder if I don't I don't think VVols creates a QoS policy on a per file basis. I think that's just applied to the object. Interesting though. The, all of these things, like th- this, is the beautiful thing about the way that data on tap works. You know, because it's a a a scale uh, that federated scale up system. All of our max support numbers are just based on what we can test and validate and ensure works. You know, if if as customers actually run into those 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 top end you know bottlenecks where we say, uh, no, that's all. You know, no more. You know, this one's full. Um, we've got that PVR process because again. It's not that it actually doesn't work. It's that we, we haven't tested it, so we can't tell you that it works. Well, yeah, it, we it, need to go push it through a verification to make sure that it's going to work for your use case. Yep. Right? Well, in, in some cases, there are hard limits. I yeah, mean, like yeah, your number of data lifts, yep. your number of volumes. I mean, those, those are things you have to keep in mind when you're, you're architecting. But there are things like QoS policies, um, export policies and rules. They, they have limits based on testing, like you said. Yeah, but even, even with the lift... Uh, Limitation, right? I mean, that, that that's a top-end bounds that, that is defined in code. You can't go above it right. with a PVR. But but that top-end definition itself is defined based on what we test. So if, if, we get, if we get into a scenario where we need to increase that, we can. It's not that hard. Yeah, and I mean, there have been requests, especially yep. with, with the concept of VMware and having to have the data lift per data store. That became a point of contention. VVols kind of alleviates that, Yep. but still, it's there. And then the last thing um, I've got for you gentlemen today for 8.3.2 are some AFF improvements, uh, specifically around some auto-assignment policies um, for auto automatically assigning the SSDs when you uh, add a new shelf to an to a, um, all-flash FAS system. Um, we'll divide it in half, giving one to each node in the HA pair. So that reduces um, the amount of work that's required. Oh, awesome. Um, also res- it reduces the amount of error you could actually inject into that yourself, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whenever you simplify a process, I mean, people are smarter than computers in a lot of ways, but the nice thing about computers is that they never, ever make a mistake. 
yeah. they made a mistake, it's because somebody told it to make a mistake. Yep. You know, so getting this stuff streamlined and repeatable is is crucial for not just simplifying, but also for you know, again, making sure that things are consistent. Yeah, if I'm if I'm standing up a new a- AFS system and I'm doing it on a weekend where I just want to get out and play more Fallout Four, yeah, threw it back in there. I might make a mistake. I might be rushing through it. If I can just press a button and be done with it, awesome. Um, we also have uh, thin provisioning as the default volume policy option on um, AFF with uh, with eight three two. So that's um, that makes sense. The final thing. Yeah, that makes sense. You you sure you're done? There's not more in there. Again, this is just a dot release. <laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty confident that I've got everything here, but it seems like with every single release. I'll go and talk to an engineer, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, this is also in the release." It happens with at least one, you know, minor feature with every single data on tap release. Um, so, is this is this all? If I were a betting man, I would say no. Yeah. But this is this is everything. This is all of the major functionality in eight three. I mean, there's some NAS stuff like bug fixes, maybe some performance improvements, a- options we've added that are more feature parity. Oh, yeah. Or seven yeah, modes. Yeah. I mean, there's that stuff too. So this is a pretty extensive roll up of a lot of things that people have been asking for. Oh yeah, no, don't don't get me wrong. I was being a little snarky there. You know, to we honestly we could have just dropped with either CFT and or inline <laughs> deduplication. Yeah, th- those were both mic drop moments. Either but. either one of those warrants a release in and of itself uh, to get both all of them with with the simplicity and optimizations across the board. <laughs> And some some net new deployment options. Uh, it, it should be an amazing release. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting it in on some FlexPod builds because that's you know, this is the reality of my life, right? I live nine months behind you guys when when it when it RCs is the first time I touch it because I live in production shipping environments. I don't get to play with future stuff anymore. I think we should deem this release FUD killer. Okay, FUD is, killer. Is is there somebody that makes a beer called FUD pillar, FUD killer? There should be. There's there should Fud. Be. There's Fud Ruckers. The uh, yeah, that's the not, burger place. Yeah, it's not gonna work. No. Yeah. Mm. I'll have to do some research into that. Fuddy Duddy. Fuddy. M- maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe an ice cream. There's probably an ice cream. There probably Fud is something. one, like yeah. a Ben and Jerry's or something. Yeah. I can see that. By the way, we're we're not getting paid for mentioning these products on the air. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're not. <laughs> Dang it. Okay, I need to renegotiate brought, my contract. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, stop eating that in your bikini. It only works on TV. All right, gentlemen, I think uh, I think that's that's a bow. I think that's a wrap. Jace, thank you so much for joining us again, as always, buddy. Uh, we'll, we'll, apparently, we'll have you back in five or six more months to talk about the next thing, uh, the rate at which uh, the, the ONTAP team's driving these days. Very impressive. It was a pleasure. So, Jay, do you even tweet, bro? I do treat, tweet. <laughs> I do tweet. Twick a tweet at uh, Jay Goldfinch. J a y g o l d f i n c h. All right, find Jay Goldfinch on Twitter at Jay Goldfinch because that's his name. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the tech, the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Jay Goldfinch for joining us this week. And as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, that was great. 
Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. It's um, fun. Hey, you know what's awesome about this upgrade? What? It's one command and the whole cluster upgrades. I'm I'm already excited about upgrading what? my cluster. Yeah. Automated, non-disruptive upgrade. They, yeah, you could do that. There's just a manager now, right? Just a button Yeah, now, you right? can. Oh, 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 yeah, my, my oh, eight-node yeah. uh, dev cluster. Yeah, I'm all about that. Simplicity, what? You guys got anything else to talk about? No? All right. No, let's, let's go play video games.